Well, good morning. morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Doesn't it feel like Thanksgiving's late this year? It does. And and in some ways, it's good because it's always too early. It's always like, already? And so I'm I'm actually loving it. And and I love this time of year. I just want you to know that because I'm from Texas, and um, and we, we do have trees in Texas, and we all love both of them. Um, but 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 now that I live in Missouri, it's this is my favorite time of year. I mean, when I used to date Kelly, I would drive down and, and or fly down or whatever, take a bus down, and in, in the fall it was so beautiful. I was like, man, it's in Texas the leaves just turn brown, but here they turn colors, all kinds of colors. And my wife would she would tell me about the trees because she's an artist, and she'd say, "Look at that! Doesn't it look like it's on fire?" And I'm like, "It does look like it's on fire." And then she's like, "Doesn't those that bush look like the sun?" And I'm like, "It does look like the sun." And and it was just interesting. And she'd talk about how the way the leaves would change colors, and she loves this artist by the name of Andy Gold, Goldsworthy, and and he'll take um, leaves and and lay them out like this, so they go from green to yellow to red and brown, and it's just beautiful the way he does that. And and so I just love this time of year. It's it's really since I've lived in Missouri, fall is my favorite time of year, and it usually only lasts about four days. And so I'm very <laughs> thankful that this year we've had a long fall, like, like all of September and all of October and even a little bit of November has all been fall-like, and I love it. I was bragging yesterday at Missio Day that I get to drive to Owensville on Sunday morning through Herman and up the Wine Valley or whatever you call that little strip and see all these beautiful maples and these beautiful oak trees and all the beautiful colors. And then this morning I was like, anxious to see them and they're all brown already, it's it's over. It's done. And so today we're going we're gonna to talk about Thanksgiving a little bit. I, my hope is to prime us up for Thanksgiving and to be thankful. And our key verse is on the screen there. It's a real simple, simplest verse. You can memorize it. I don't even need to look at it, I don't think. I'm going to see if I can get it right. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Pretty simple, right? I've got it memorized. Hey, look at me. Um, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Pretty easy. Probably one of the simplest verses in all of the Bible. Although I would also say it's probably the most complicated verse. The reason why is because that word indescribable. (laughs) How can I preach a sermon on a verse that basically has two subjects, the gift and God, and then try to explain it when Paul already says it's unexplainable. It's undescribable. It's incomprehensible. It's unavailable for us to use words. This is coming from the Apostle Paul, by the way. Paul's not one who usually lacks words. (laughs) So he has so many words, he doesn't even give us a pause sometimes. He just runs on and on and on and on, you know? And so here's the Apostle Paul, who uses a lot of language, tells us language cannot describe the gift that we have in God. So here's what I want to do this morning. I'm actually going to make this really short, I hope. And I'm not going to teach you anything you don't already know. My goal tonight is not to teach, not to preach some eloquent sermon that you'll take notes and say, well, that was a good sermon, and then walk away and forget 98% of it tomorrow anyway. My goal is not to teach anything that you don't already know. My goal, and, and my goal is not to attempt to describe the undescribable. My goal is just to get us in a place where we feel something. I want us to feel a bit of awe and a bit of wonder, wonder, I should say, and a bit of amazement at this indescribable gift. This gift from God that is unimaginable, unexpressible. That word in the original language, it's not used anywhere else in the Bible. 
Paul uses a word that's never used again. We don't see it in the Old Testament. We don't see it in the New Testament. It's a transcendent word. It just means this gift that we have from God is unexplainable, undescribable, unimaginable, inexpressible, irresistible. It is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And what, what I hope to do is, as I've been thinking about it, wh- what does he mean when he says this gift from God is indescribable? Wh- what about it is so indescribable? And, 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 I've, and I've decided that it might be indescribable for three reasons. One, because of our need for it. And if I were to unpack that a little bit, our need for this gift is also undescribable. It's un- 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 unattainable for us to really understand how desperately we need this gift. It's, it's, we need it. And then secondly, how much it costs. Can't even begin to describe how much this gift costs God in order to give to us. It's an expensive, costly gift. And then thirdly, the benefit that we get from it. Again, it's undescribable. All that we get from God with this undescribable gift. So if we can feel that, how much we need it, how much it costs, and how much of a benefit it is to us, my hope at the end of the day is we would all just simply say, thank God for this indescribable gift. Amen? And if that's my job this morning, not to teach, not to describe the undescribable, but just to get us to a place where we feel awe and wonder for the indescribable gift that God gives us, I think it would be wise to open with a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, it should not be difficult to walk out of this place this morning feeling thankful for all that you've given us in this indescribable gift, for all that you've given us in Christ, for all that you've given us in grace, for all that you've given us through the power of the gospel. And so I pray, Lord, that as we approach a holiday, as we approach a season of thankfulness, might we be thankful to you and might we be moved with thankfulness for all that we've been given by this indescribable gift. And we'll ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been preparing for Christmas, and um, we're going to start Christmas Advent <coughs> messages next week. And as I've been thinking about Christmas, I've decided there are, there are like four or five different kinds of gift givers during the Christmas season. Do you know what I mean? You've probably experienced this in your life. You've, you've, you've got someone, they give you a gift, and you open it, and you're like, oh, you're one of those gift givers, aren't you? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, say, someone say amen, brother. <laughs> and so so the one, one kind of gift giver is the kind of giver who wants to give you something that you really want. You know, I'm, I think I'm kind of a gift giver like this. Like if I ever draw a name in a hat at our family reunion and I have to buy, you know, Billy this gift, I'm wanting to call Billy's mom and say, what is it that he likes? What is it that he wants? I, want to give, I don't want to just give him a gift card. I want to give him something that he wants so that he'll remember me, so that he'll like me. I want him to like me. So I want to give him the gift that he wants. One time I was an associate pastor at a church and I taught a Sunday school class for three years on 1 Corinthians. And, 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 and they pitched in together. This is back before iPhones. They pitched in together and bought me an iPod. Now, I've never owned anything at that time made by Apple. And so when they gave me an 80 gigabyte video iPod, the one with the wheel, I don't know if you remember these or not. Oh my goodness, I was blown. I was speechless. I, I didn't, I was shaking when I opened it. I was like, really? I'm holding something made by Apple? You guys bought me this? They knew I wanted an iPod and they pitched in together and bought me this big iPod. And it was the best gift I ever got, I think. It was amazing. And then there's other people. They don't give you what you want. 
<laughs> they give you what you need. <laughs> you know, those kinds of people. Like, I'm not going to go spend money on some frivolous thing he doesn't need. I'm going to give him something he needs. So what does Michael need? I don't know, a membership at a gym, maybe. <laughs> Rogaine. <laughs> Let's get him some Rogaine. <laughs> My mom was always good at giving us as kids both. The things that we want, but then also the things that we need. So I would get the remote control car or the Super Nintendo NES. And then at the same time, I would always, every year, get socks and underwear. Every year. You know, so I'm opening it up. Oh, next toy. You know, where's the toy? I never sat on Santa's lap and said, I would like some socks. Never. But every year I got socks. So my mom was good at giving us what we want, but also giving us what we need for Christmas. And as I'm getting older and more frugal, Kelly and I are now giving each other things that we need. So last year I bought her a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> that was a mistake. I'm just kidding. She, she wanted it. She wanted it. This year, don't tell her I'm buying new doorknobs for the house. She really wants new doorknobs. She hates our old 1970s doorknobs. So I'm just going to buy it. Those are too expensive. We don't normally go out and buy doorknobs. So I'm just, like, just going to buy her t- two a year. So by the end of the, you know, in 20, we'll have new doorknobs. <laughs> Here's what I've noticed in my life. I'm always more thankful for the thing that I want than I am for the thing that I need. Isn't that true? I'm always more thankful for the thing that I want than the thing that I need. And, and, and I want the things that I want, and I don't even really want the things that I need. And but, but I, what I would imagine, though, is if I didn't have socks, I would want some. But I don't really know that I need them, and so I don't want them. And I start to think about that in relationship to Christ. I don't really want Christ. And so I'm not as thankful for Christ, perhaps, as I am, as I should be, because I really need him. Does that make sense? So I want the things that I want, and I don't want the things that I need, and I need the things that I think I want. <laughs> I mean, I need the things that I want. I, I need an iPod, but I, but I don't want the things that I need. So I wonder if we're all like that, if we're not really thankful for this indescribable gift, because it's not something necessarily that we want, but it is something that we need. And let me, let me explain to you how much we need it. I've got, I picked this verse out of Isaiah, and I could have picked any verse out of the Bible, honestly, But I think this one is pretty powerful. It says this, when you did awesome things that we did not expect, um, Isaiah is talking to God. You did awesome things, God. We didn't expect them. You can imagine what he's talking about. Part of the Red Sea. He, you know, destroyed Pharaoh's army. He's, you know, plagues, locusts. You know, Ten Commandments, I mean, there's miracles galore in the Bible. Jericho, people walked around, blew a trumpet. You know, God did amazing things. He says, when you did things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Literally, when God came down in the beginning, he came on a mountain and that mountain trembled. It electrified even. If anyone touched it, you know, it was crazy. So Isaiah is saying, when you came down, it was unheard of. Since ancient times, no one has heard. And and he's going to say this verse that is going to be quoted all throughout the Bible. No ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God but you, besides you. You are an amazing God, and no eye has ever seen a God like you, and no ear has ever even heard of a God like you. Come on, give me an amen if you think God's amazing. I mean, when he came down, whoa. I mean, we have not even seen God come down like that. And you came to help those who do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against those ways... Raise your hand if you continue to sin against God's ways. We are like that, right? 
God, you came down, you shook the earth, but you showed us that you loved us and that you would come to those who wait on you and come to those who obey you. But we still disobey you even though we know your laws. I still disobey him. In the next verse, and you were angry. <laughs> uh, raise your hand if you wish you didn't raise your hand earlier when I said, and <laughs> you still can sin. Because the next verse says, and you were angry. I don't often think of it that way. I still sin, and my sin still angers God. You were angry. How then can we be saved? And this is what I want us to see. God is amazing. God is powerful. And he loves us, but yet our sin angers him. And if anyone you don't want to anger, it's God. And God is angry with our sin. So who can be saved? Isaiah asks. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So even the good things that we do, even the nice things that we do, even the the good gifts that we give to people, it's just filthiness to God. There's nothing we can do that's good. This is how bad it is. This is how badly we need grace because nothing we can do, even good things, is going to appease God's anger for the sin that we've already done. And like the wind, wait, excuse me, and all of our righteous are like rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. This is an appropriate verse, I think, for today because there are a lot of shriveled up leaves blowing around in the wind out that window. We got a lot of shriveled up dead leaves. If you go to my house right now, there are three inches of dead shriveled up leaves that I need to rake tonight. Um, So there's a lot of shriveled up leaves. That's what we are like. We are dead. We have fallen. (laughs) No pun intended. I mean, pun intended. We have fallen and we are shred, shriveled up dead leaf and our sin. We are leaves and our acts of sin are like wind that just blow us away, turn us into dust. We are hopeless. We are hopeless. And then he goes on to say, no one calls on your name or strives to lay a hold of you. No one seeks after you. We don't run to you. We run from you for you have hidden your face from us and you've made us waste away because of our sin. Now, of course, I'm leaving this verse. I'm ending it here with the bad news to to highlight our great need. We must remember that we are fallen, that we are shriveled up leaves, that our sin wastes us away, that even our good deeds are like filthy rags to God, and our sin angers him. And who can be saved? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We need him to give us a gift. We need him to give us grace because none of us, none of us in any way can save ourselves. So thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift. Now there's a a third kind of gift giver that I've witnessed over my life. And that is the overgiver. You you know what I'm talking about? The person who wants to blow you away with how much they spent on the thing so they leave the price tag on it. Did you ever get a gift like that? Oh, I hate it. It's like when you leave the price tag on it, you just ruin the whole gift. It's like Michael Scott in the office where he's got the iPhone and he's telling everyone how much he spent on it. You know, I got an iPhone. I spent more than you spent. La, la, la. It's annoying. So there's some people who are just overgivers. And I have to admit that I'm kind of an overgiver. <laughs> when I don't leave the price tag on it, but when, when it comes to my wife, I like to just give, 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 give. And I remember when we first started dating, I would give her like 10 gifts, and she'd be like, this is too much. And then I'd bring a wagon out with more gifts. And she's like, her eyes are real big, and she's thinking about our bank account, of course. And I was like, baby, this is only phase two. <laughs> Come on, you're going to over. I, I, I'm never, I was never satisfied until, you know, you just overwhelm her with gifts. I've learned over the years, though, that that doesn't actually work for her. 
That's too easy, actually, for my wife. My wife wants me to bleed and sweat and cry and spend a lot of time over something. It'd be too easy for me just to go put something on a credit card and then pay for it over the next two years, right? She wants me to work. She wants me to spend a lot of time, a lot of service, a lot of energy. She wants me to bleed. And I, I do woodworking, so I've made her a lot of things over the years. And, and she likes those things. Far, they're far more valuable to her than if I go to the store and buy her a, a skirt. She wants me to, last year, or actually eight years ago, I built her an art easel out of barn oak. And it was beautiful, and it had little leaves dials on it, you know. The unfortunate thing is it's still not put together because I haven't sanded and stained it yet. <laughs> I'm always, I'm a, my wife calls me a 98 percenter. You always finish everything 98 percent, and then we've got all these unfinished projects laying around the house. I do, I've got bookshelves that are like built, and there was books on them, but there's no trim on them. It's unfortunate. So for my wife, she likes things to be thought out and to spend a lot of time and a lot of blood and a lot of sweat and a lot of tears. And so the second reason why I think this gift is indescribable is because of the great cost of it. And it doesn't just cost money. It costs a lot of time and a lot of blood and a lot of sweat and a lot of tears. When it comes to time, I mean, the Bible says from the foundations of the universe, God has preordained, preplanned this gift to be given to you. Even in Genesis 3, as we read last week, that God had preordained from the beginning of creation that I would send my son and he would crush the head of the serpent and he would save my people. He would reverse the fall, reverse the curse. So from the foundations of the entire universe, God has been architecting, he's been planning this thing that he's going to give us, this gift. He's been wrapping it, he's been putting it together. When it comes to time... You know, I take a couple hours trying to figure out how many inches the easel should be. God has spent eternity figuring out just exactly. The Bible is famous for saying, at just the right time, God sent his son. He, he, he had it all figured out and planned. He's put a lot of time into our great gift. And when it comes to blood, I mean, how many verses could I pull out right now about Jesus and his blood? He poured out his blood as a drink offering so that we might be saved. In fact, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 9, he did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves. And what he's talking about here is the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the, the place where God's um, Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat. Only He could only go in there once a year. And he'd go in with a small bowl of blood from a goat or a, or a ram. And he would sprinkle it on there and he'd pour it on there and he'd put it on the lobes of the ears of different things and cleanse the whole room and say, God, will you please substitute this blood for the blood of our people? Save our people by letting us sacrifice this ram or this goat for the sins of our people. The author of Hebrews says Jesus did not enter into the Holy of Holies with someone else's blood, but he entered in with his own blood. And I'm not talking about drips or driblets. I'm talking about gallons of blood that poured down the cross for our sins. He gave blood. Not at some RV. You know, he gave blood. He gave his blood for our salvation. Later on, we'll take communion. Not today, but another day we'll take communion. And, and that's a symbol of, he says, this is my body which was broken for you, and this is my blood which is poured out for you. So when it comes to time, when it comes to blood, when it comes to sweat, 
We all remember this verse from the Bible. It says, And being in agony, Jesus was praying in the garden more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Not only did he share or shed blood on the cross, but he's dripping blood through his sweat on the ground as he is agonizing over this gift. In the garden, his, the last night, he's praying to God, Lord, if it's all possible, take this away. Take this cup, which I'm about to drink, away. It's going to be too costly. It's going to be too painful. If there's any other way, maybe a less painful way, a less costly way, could we go with plan B? Can we put it on a credit card, perhaps, and pay for it over the next two years? God says, no, no, not my will, but your will. And he's sweating blood. When I work on my wife's easel, I'm sweating, but I can sand that sweat drop off of the wood. <laughs> Jesus is sweating into the very earth, drops of blood. And when it comes to tears, I shudder to imagine what it would be like to hear Christ crying. You know, how many times in the New Testament do we see Jesus weeping? Do we see Jesus crying? I can think of a couple off the top of my head. One is he's traveling with his disciples past Jerusalem and he gets up to the top of the hill and he tells his disciples, hold on a second. I want to pause for a minute. And he begins to pray and he begins to talk to Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, how I longed to pull you under my wings like a hen, like a mother hen, and care for you, but you wouldn't have it. You ran from me. You won't receive the gift that I want to give you. You won't receive my grace. And the Bible literally says he audibly wailed. He's weeping out loud. Oh, Jerusalem, how I long for you. When I was a kid, if I ever heard my dad cry, it would scare the snot out of me. Like, I never heard my dad cry. But if I ever did hear him cry, something was wrong, you know? And then it would move me. I, I would be scared to death. I would just start crying. Well, I don't even know why I was crying. Why are you crying? Dad's crying. Something must be wrong. <laughs> I'm going to cry. I'm scared. I'm so scared. Dad's crying. And I think to myself, what would it be like to be a disciple of Christ on that mountain and literally hear Jesus crying? what it would do inside of me. There's another time when his great friend Lazarus was dead in the tomb and, and Mary runs to him and falls at his feet and, and she's weeping and, and Jesus wants to raise Lazarus from the dead. But even still, in the shortest verse of the Bible, it just says, Jesus wept. Mary and all the people around him said, see how much he loved him. And just imagine that Jesus feels our pain. He feels our suffering. He knows our anxieties. He knows our depression. He knows the things that we're struggling with. The, he knows our suffering and our pain, and he weeps and he cries with us. He weeps over death. He hates death. He came to conquer death and to destroy sin, which is the enemy, which is the reason for our death. And so when it comes to time and blood and sweat and tears, would you agree with me that this is an indescribable gift? Can't even begin to comprehend the cost my favorite verse in the Bible is Philippians 3.10. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings so that I might one day attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is one of those verses 
that I'd put at the end of my email. You know how Christians do that? They put like verses at the end of their email, like people are going to look them up or something, like they even have time to read your email, you know? Uh, this is one of those verses that I put at the end of my email, and then one time one of my friends looked it up and said, I think you just put that verse on there because you don't know what it means, and you think it makes you look smart. I'm like, well, you're right. I don't know what it means. And the reason why I've made it my life verse is because I want to want to know Christ the way Paul wants to know Christ. I don't think I really quite understand what Paul is saying here. He says, I want to know Christ. I know what that means. I mean, I, I, I want to know my wife. And I'm just now beginning, I think, to know her. I want to know my children, but they're unknowable. <laughs> they're changing every day. I, they do things that surprise me. And I think that's what Paul's saying here about Christ. I want to know him. But then, he, but then he says something different. He doesn't say, I want to know him. I, want, I don't want to chummy up with him. He's saying, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, and I want to fellowship, or I want to partner in the sharing of his sufferings. I don't want to know Christ like that. I don't want to know Christ in his death. I want to know Christ in his life. That's what we say, right? What would Jesus do? We want to be like Jesus in his life. We want to be like Jesus. But Paul says, I want to be like Jesus in his death. I want to understand his sufferings. I want to feel his sufferings. I want to partner in his sufferings. I want to suffer with him for the cause of the gospel. This is an indescribable gift, and I don't even really can't even describe it because I don't think that I know anything about suffering the way Paul suffered or, the, by the way, Jesus suffered. So one reason why it is indescribable is because of our need. Another reason is because of the cost. Now, there's a fourth kind of giver that I've witnessed in my life. And this is someone who gives you the gift that you did not want. <laughs> You're like, gee, thanks. <laughs> when can I re-gift this? How, how, how early can I re-gift this thing? But then that gift becomes the thing that you love more than anything. Have you ever experienced that? Like you got something, you're like, gee, thanks. And then all of a sudden it's like, this is my favorite thing. I never even knew this thing existed until the person gave it to me. And now I don't even know how I can live life without it. You've never experienced anything like that? I have, I'll tell you. My wife one time bought me these for Christmas about five years ago. <laughs> Little black house slippers. And when I opened them, they were in a box, and I opened them and I said, gee, thanks, I'm officially an old man. <laughs> and she says, no, 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 you're going to love them. You're going to love these things. I love them. I wear them all the time. And do you know what? She is right. I love these slippers. <laughs> when I come home at the end of the day, I just take off my shoes as fast as I can. Oh, that felt so good, by the way. Can I just tell you? And then I slide these on. <gasps> it's like bliss. <sighs> and then I scoot around the house all night long, especially now that we have kids and there's food all over the floor. These are nice, you know. <laughs> this is what you hear at my house all day. Scooting around the house. These are the best things I've ever received as a gift. I didn't want them, but now I love them. In fact, I love them so much, I don't even want to wear shoes anymore. And sometimes I get in the car wearing these things, and my wife's like, honey, no, you got to go back in there and put your shoes on. And I'm like, no one's going to look down at my feet. No one's going to know they look like shoes. She's like, yeah, but your feet will be all sweaty, and that's a different story. I think the other reason why this gift is so indescribable is because of the great benefit that we receive. We don't even know we need it, and then we receive it, and then we just get all this benefit. Every year, you'll hear the commercial, give the gift that keeps on giving. And when Jesus, or when God gives us his indescribable gift in Christ, doesn't it just keep on giving? 
you, you learn that you need Jesus and you learn that you need to be saved and you receive him into your heart and you're saved. But then all of a sudden you get the Holy Spirit. Then all of a sudden you get fruit. Then all of a sudden you get a life transformation. Then all of a sudden you become more patient. You become more kind. And the gifts just keep on giving. It's not a gift that you open up once and put on your shelf. It's a gift that you're opening up every morning, every day. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I want to share this verse with you from 1 Corinthians. Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence of superior wisdom as one as proclaimed to you the testimony, as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. So he says, when I came to preach in Corinth, I didn't preach a sermon that you could take notes on and that you could learn things and you can think, he's a good communicator. I didn't do that. He said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except, say it with me, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you see that he's doing it again? He says, I desire to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ. I love this about Paul. He's, he's, he's a man of solidarity. He wants one thing. I want to know Christ and him crucified. I want to know him in his death. I want to know Jesus and his death. I admire that about Paul. And I came to you in weakness and fear with much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message. So he says, we do speak a message of wisdom among the mature. So he's saying, I didn't come to you talking like an idiot. I wasn't stupid. I mean, we have a message. It is wisdom. It's, it's, it's wise for those who get it. And in the same passage later, he says, it's foolishness to those who are outside of faith. It's foolishness to those who have not received the gift. But for those of us who have received the gift, it is the wisdom of God. Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. And he goes on to say, we speak God's secret wisdom. In Greek, it's the word mysterion, which means the mystery, which I think I've discussed here before. It means the gospel. It's the gospel. We have the mystery of Christ, the gospel, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. <laughs> he says, none of the rules of the age understood it, for if they did, they would not have cru crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, he's going to quote that verse I read earlier, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit, and the spirit searches all things even the deep things of God. So not only do we receive this indescribable gift, but all the benefits that come with it, we get the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, and it, dis it, it explains to us the deep things of God. Wisdom that you can't get out of books, wisdom that you can't get from some man, but wisdom that you get from God. You get the Holy Spirit living in you and the Spirit knows the mind of God and the Spirit knows your mind and the Spirit communicates between God's mind and your mind. And then Paul says later on, you receive the mind of Christ. Unbelievable. Paul says, I want to know Christ. But then later on, he says, we have the mind of Christ. I don't think anyone would raise their hand and say, yeah, I have that. <laughs> so it's the gift that keeps on giving. We are maturing into the mind of Christ. And then we get this Holy Spirit, and the Spirit lives inside of us. And does, isn't it true the Spirit gives you power? Power to conquer the enemy, power to, to destroy sin and temptation in your life, power to get rid of addictions, power to get rid of anger. Isn't it true? I've known people, angry people, drunk people, 
A beautiful thing. God's gift just keeps on giving and it transforms your life. Amen? I've seen angry, angry men get the Holy Spirit in them and become the most gentlest, loving bears you've ever seen in your life. And I could go on and on and on. We get gifts galore. Keeps on, and we can go all the way to the book of Revelation. I can tell you about the stones. We get these little white stones, and you flip them over, there's a name on it. It's your name. That's a gift. The Bible says you're going to get a new name that only you and God knows. That's cool. I don't know what it means, but it's cool, I think. I got a new name. And God's like, I know your name. And I'm like, I know you know my name. <laughs> but no one else knows the name that he gave. It's just amazing. We get these new white robes. <laughs> the gifts just keep on giving. So thanks be to God for this indescribable gift because of the amazing benefits. Amen? Amen? So in conclusion, what I've said today is that we have an indescribable gift that we should feel awe and wonder that we have. And we should thank God because he's given us a gift that, if anything, if the best way that I can imagine why it's so indescribable is because of our great need, but then also because of its great cost to Christ and to God, but then also to the great benefit that we receive when we received this gift. So if you would say it with me, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's say it. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What I'd like for you to think about this week is if you're really, really, really thankful for that indescribable gift, don't you want to share it with people? You do, don't you? When I got that iPod, I wanted to show it to people, but I wouldn't let anyone touch it. But I wanted to share, look what I got. Ring, 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 ring. You know, it's an awesome little thing. And here's the question I want you to ask yourself. How would you describe to someone the indescribable gift? This is a question that we should think about all the time because chances are, and I know this will happen if I put you in Paris and said, describe it. Explain the benefits that you receive. Explain the cost. Explain the, the need. You'll, you'll run out of things to say. It'll be hard. Raise your, nod, if you will, if you agree with me. It'll be hard. So, so maybe even this week or in the car ride home, talk about that with your spouse and with your family. How would you explain these, this indescribable gift? Because we need to be prepared and ready to explain that to people who don't have the gift. And if it's so indescribable and it's so amazing and we're so thankful, oh, how sad if we didn't share it. I once heard a sermon by an old preacher. His name is S.M. Lockridge. He's an African-American preacher, or was an African-American preacher. I always wanted to be an African-American preacher. <laughs> I really do. Because I mean, they, they preach, you know, and they sing when they preach. And, uh -huh. and the Lord said, yeah, get thee. You know, if I preach like that, you guys would be crying and screaming and yelling, and you would for sure be raising your hand, you know. But if I try to preach like that, I would just look like a chubby white guy <laughs> trying to be black. <laughs> but he has this sermon, I think, which is a great sermon to conclude with, where he preaches, it's indescribable. It's incomprehensible. It's, I wish I could describe them to you. It's just amazing. I tried to practice it, but it's a long sermon, and I would lose my voice by the end of it. So I'd like to just conclude with this video, and then I'll close us in the word. The Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. 
no means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter.